0: Well, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Turn quickly. Hopefully, you've marked your place already. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you, but we're doing part two of this passage and a message that I've titled Gospel Centered Marriage. Gospel Centered Marriage. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, as we just listen attentively and reverently for his voice in the scriptures. Reading out of the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now as always for your word, for the confidence we have in it as truth and life and for the confidence we have in you that by your spirit you will make it come alive to us and that you can minister it Uh, precisely to the point of our need you know our hearts how they need to be penetrated with the truth how they need to be convicted challenged changed encouraged and so Lord we submit that to you open ourselves to receive what you have would you speak O Lord your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good we ask, Lord, that you would move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today. For Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated. Well, being part two, in case you missed part one, I called this gospel-centered marriage for a reason because as we go through the book of Ephesians, we see the first three chapters, the first half of the book, really, is about God's grace toward us. Jesus lavished grace upon his people. That's the good news of the gospel. And then the, and then the second half of the book really says how we should live in response to the gospel, namely that we should live graciously toward other people. He's been so gracious to us, we ought to do the same in our dealings with other people, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, walking in love, uh, forgiving one another, and so on. We're just a, a, a continuing list of words that sort of attach to the way we ought to live in response to the gospel. And here we learn that we're to live that out in the home as well. It's not unique to the, to, to the home. He applies it freshly to the marriage and the family, but he's not really changing subjects here. He's saying that there's a certain way for those who understand what they've received by grace, a certain way that we ought to live, and you ought to do so in the home environment as well. And so it's gospel-centered marriage in that sense. And I will preface this today by saying anytime time, it would be true of marriage, it would be true of parenting and maybe most especially in those ways. It, this would be true in a variety of other uh, applications as well. But it's, it's not uncommon when we come to a place in the Scripture that tells us how we ought to live that we are immediately reminded of how we have failed to do what we ought to have done, right? And, uh, and then it's immediately uh, a temptation for us then to clothe ourselves with the guilt for our past failures, with the shame that would come along with that. Um, and that is really not the response that God would, would have us to make to that. He has is, he is forgiven our past, and so there are lots of things we can't, we've, we've done or failed to do. We can't go back and change. Amen to that? You, we can't go back and redo them. Wish we could. God can make right what we did wrong. And so my point is just to say, as a preface to this part two message on marriage, let us not have it drag us back to a place of regret or shame about what what once was, uh, but rather to live today and forward um, in obedience to his word in pursuit of what he says is ideal to the extent that we have opportunity to do that. And so with that preface said, uh, I'll remind you that as I kind of alluded to this perhaps last week in my newsletter article, and it doesn't really even need to be said uh, for most of us, it does, we don't need to be reminded of the fact that whatever God outlines as his way of living a good life, whatever, in whatever way he reveals that, the world would offer us a different way right? Uh, the world would say, uh, his way is bad, our way is good. That way is old-fashioned, why don't you walk the new way, and so on and so forth. Then it's true of uh, marriage as it is about, again, countless other things, and, it's, and that's not even new. That It's not new that somebody's always offering something new. Uh, to that point, ran across this quote from G.K. Chesterton he wrote an article somewhere around the early 1930s, I think. Uh, and and he's in it, he said this. I'll just read it. And he's, he really sort of writes, he pushes back against the uh, so called reformers of his day, the progressives of his day um, as well. But he says this In the matter of reforming things, as distinct from deforming them, There is one plain and simple principle, a principle which will probably be called a paradox. There exists in such a case a certain institution or law, let's say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let us clear it away to which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Chesterton was actually speaking in this article about the social reformers of his day who would destroy the home and family. Uh, it was, I, I didn't write down the title. I think it was something like The Drift um, of Domesticity. But anyway, speaking of those who would destroy the home and family. And he went on to say this My complaint of the anti domestic drift is that it is unintelligent. People do not know what they are doing because they do not know what they are undoing. Those who would. Uh, insist that we dismantle the family as we have known it and tear it down without a real good alternative in view, by the way. In some cases, no alternative at all. But those who would dismantle it and tear it down do not know what they are doing because they do not know what they are undoing. That was written nearly 100 years ago. But the 21st century progressives are still at it as they were in his day, presuming that we've progressed so much that the institution of marriage is no longer needed. And this is really fresh, by the way. I don't know how tuned in you are to this, but particularly in the world that young people live in, There are those women who who are told you don't need a man; you're better off without him. There are opportunities available to you now that there didn't used to be, and so you just you you pursue those and sort of make your own way. And there are men being told, "Look, there is nothing in this for you. You're sure to get the raw end of this deal, no matter how it goes." And so you just go out and live your wild life and pursue uh, one one woman or many of them or none at all, however you might want to choose that, but there's nothing good in this for you. That is very much the message uh, in the face of young people. By the way, there are not only progressive versions of that, but there are ultra-conservative versions, non-religious sort of conservatives, um, offering a, a perverted... Uh, version of manhood and masculinity to to guys who would want to be sort of tough and chest-thumping sort of men, a, a perverted version of that as well. But they don't know what they are doing because they don't know what they are undoing. But the devil knows exactly what he is undoing. The devil knows exactly what he is undoing and it is the same thing he has been trying to undo from the very beginning. Do you remember that the first attack on God's creation, what led to the first sin, was an attack on marriage? It was an attack to divide husband from wife because he knew exactly what God had created, those human beings in his own image. He had observed enough to know what was revealed about his plan for them. And that was exactly where he made his initial assault. He's, he's quite strategic in it. And it's no surprise at all that in the decades, in the last 50, 60 years, however long it's been that we've watched one uh, assault after another on marriage on reproduction, on, on the, on the uh, unique and good expression of sexuality within the context of marriage. The perversion of that that would say any of it and all of it is as good as you want to have children or not to have children. We can control the number of children. Maybe you don't want to have any at all. No fault divorce, abortion, uh, yeah, promise, promiscuity, rampantly, and now to the point where transgender ideology, you know, d- essentially would say we don't know even the difference between man and woman. Right? I mean, in other words, I, what, what I'm trying to say is, if you look back on, if you just if you just play back the script, you'll see it's been an attack on God's institution of the family and His purposes for it. One. ...time after another. It's been strategic on the part of the enemy. He knows exactly what he is undoing. And so we, the church of Jesus Christ... ...ought to be wise to that as well and say no. Out of whoever's mouth it comes... ...those invitations to go some other way... ...besides the way God has ordered... ...we will say no to it. From the beginning, marriage was part of God's... ...good plan for humanity and gospel-centered marriage as he redeems what was fallen in that original sin, is designed to reveal who Christ is and what he has done. You may remember I said from last week, uh, this last week, marriage points back to the sacrificial, selfless love that Je- Jesus demonstrated in order to secure and purify his bride. There is something that the Christian couple is called to in their marriage relationship that is supposed to point to that sort of sacrificial love that he has demonstrated, and it points ahead to the final marriage between Christ and his bride that we read about in Revelation. And it's noteworthy that in Genesis chapter 3, in that first attack on marriage that the enemy waged and that led to that first sin one of the consequences of sin of that first sin was as, as he said to pronouncing this sort of curse to the serpent to the woman to the man he says to the woman your desire this is in genesis three sixteen. your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you this is A little bit of a a difficult phrase, I guess, in Hebrew, an unusual one. Translators uh, render that a little bit differently in different translations. That's how the ESV says it. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And part of what a lot of scholars will say, the message of that is that now this, this, this divided uh, wounded relationship between husband and wife led them to the place where she wants his position of headship. She, she will be contrary to him, as it says here, but he will be the one to rule over her. And, and I point that out because that is part of the sinful nature, the sinful response to our own nature as men and women, is to want the very thing that God hasn't given us to try to take it from another rather than given uh, of ourselves for the good of the other. And so it's through those lenses that I want us to look uh, pretty briefly at this passage Again, again, make another sort of run through it. Because Paul offers a word to wives... And a word to husbands here in Galatians chapter 5 at its conclusion. First, a word to wives. He says, I mean, I'm going to try to take it pretty plainly. He says, first, submit, wives, submit to your own husbands. The word submit means submit. Uh, It means put yourself under authority. The, the actual prefix of the word, it begins with uh, the prefix we, we know and use as hypo, like a hypodermic needle goes under, uh, the, the word here means put yourself under the authority of another. It's translated um, in other places in the New Testament as be subject to. But that is, that is uh, unambiguously the connotation there. Submit yourselves to your own husbands. But that word is jaw dropping and show stopping to the modern feminist mind or progressive mind. And really, plenty jaw dropping to those who might not think of themselves as being either feminist or, or progressive. It's just like that is so countercultural to 21st century thought. It's just sort of jaw dropping. And people would say, I can't believe you actually believe that. And people who even do believe the Scriptures want to come to passages like this and see if we can make it mean something other than what it sounds like it means. It it means what it sounds like it means, and that's really just what I wanted to convey here. Submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything as the church submits to Christ. Now we again should qualify as I have about kind of on another subject recently. But Clearly, there are things a, a, a husband could try to force his wife, compel his wife to do, or tell his wife to do, that are sins against God. That she cannot do. I mean, if a that if a husband tells his wife to to uh, violate the law of, law of God and defy him in some way, she certainly cannot submit to him because she must submit to God. And I, I'm just qualifying, in other words, uh, the connotation of this in everything but it is to say uh, that while wives know that Christ is perfect and their husband is not I should pause there and let us all appreciate that and wives can say amen and husbands probably can't uh, you ought to be able to anyway we ought to be able to In other words, the message here is not that, that a husband is Christ to their, to their wives or, or, or savior in any sense or anything approaching that, but he's making an analogy here just to say Christ is always and constantly the head of the church and so husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of his home. Again, not particularly... Uh, news or even controversial to those who have lived in generations past. It has become controversial uh, the more and more we've lived into the present and as we live into the future. But that's one of the words to the wives, submit to your own husbands. And the second is at the conclusion of uh, the passage in verse 33, respect your husbands. Submit yourselves to your husband's authority as the head of the home and respect your husbands. I, I'll mention again and sort of in brief, I shared in a newsletter article this week a um, little passage from 1 Peter chapter 5 where he's given instruction to the elders of the church. If you uh, read that, you kind of know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, go back and read it because I'm, I'm not going to say a whole lot about that. But I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that this is not unique to marriage. That 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 part of what Uh, The people of God, the the followers of Jesus Christ, the the, the way that uh, our life together is to be lived, is on one hand with structures of authority. And in, in 1 Peter 5, he's talking about the elders as spiritual authorities of the church. There are clear, unambiguous lines of authority. And yet, he says, the way they are to lead is not domineering not through intimidation, not for selfish gain, but with uh, the other's good in mind and with patience and, and leading them to a place of willing submission to that and so on. And he goes on to say, all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. So authority doesn't mean superiority Authority doesn't mean domineering and and intimidation and those kind of things that it tends to mean in the fallen world. And that's exactly the point. We point back to Genesis 3. We see how it got to be that way. And people ruling over another like to sort of put people under their thumb and and intimidate and strike fear in the hearts of people. And there is no setting in which... um, Jesus ordains that kind of relationship in, in his church. People in authority don't relate that way to people who submit to their authority. That's really uh, the point there about submission and authority. But he says here, not only submit, but respect your husbands in verse 33. And I'll just say here, uh, again, as quickly as I can and move on, two wives, and again, many know this, and I, I should say, as I've pointed out before, there are many in this church who have been married a long time. And praise the Lord for that. As I've said before, I'm so thankful to come and go and interact with so many people who have, uh, who have lived, who've been married for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. It's really a great gift. And um, I would assume in many cases that means you've figured some things out <laughs> It doesn't mean, by the way, that you, everybody's gotten it all right, but it just means some of this you, you've figured out how to work out in your own marriage. And so in those cases, those wives would know. What maybe some younger wives or future wives might need to know, and it's this. Men need to be respected, especially by their wives. This is one of the things that men need uh, 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 some to feel some sense of or regard for is that their wives respect them. The raw truth about men, generally speaking, is that uh, testosterone makes men stronger, faster, and much more aggressive than women. It also makes men crazy at times, but that's probably another sermon right but i mean but but it's just what what i'm saying is the obvious that you know that is just true about men it's not true about every man or in, in relationship or comparison to every woman but men tend to be stronger faster more aggressive um just by nature they are drawn to contest and conquest watch two boys you 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 you, uh, you leave them alone for a little while with nothing much to do and, and a game will arise. Uh, I mean, they'll make up a game, right, of, of, of throwing some ball in a hole, <laughs> uh, you know, kicking it over something or whatever. Uh, they're, they're drawn to those kind of things. They tend to express that by uh, building things up or tearing things down or some combination of, of, of both. And the point is, they are especially willing to do those things in exchange for the respect and admiration of their wives. And so, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this briefly um, at risk of, of saying it very incompletely or even carelessly, but the point is just to say, uh, this is not some uh, passing remark For for Wives, Wives, respect your husbands. I would even say be measured about how much respect and admiration you voice about other men. Because they need to know um, that they have your respect and your admiration. Submit to your own husbands. Respect your husbands. And number two, a word to husbands. As you're probably picking up on, these words could be a whole lot more numerous and longer. <laughs> uh, we could say a whole lot more and for longer here, but the word to husbands, it would make kind of logical sense, I, I guess, for him to say at this point, I haven't said wives, wives submit to your husbands, it would, make, it would logically follow if he said husbands rule over your wives or husbands exercise authority over your wives. That is not what he said. He says, uh, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, he says in verse 25 through 27. And as I pointed out last week, the way Christ loved his church was not negotiating or compromising to meet us halfway. When, When Christ came to save, he gave all of himself all the way. He gave himself for us. And it emphasizes here that he gave himself uh, for our good as well. He got dirty that we might be cleansed. He said in verse 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He entered our dirty mess To make us clean. He was seeking the good of the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he says, love your wives as you love your own body. So he kind of gives two pictures here. He's really communicating essentially the same message. But love your wives as your own bodies. This is really, I guess, fundamentally a very similar message to love your neighbor as yourself. It's it's once again, as as the people of God are supposed to do more generally in their whole uh, realm of their existence, in their relationship with the people in all kinds of different contexts, so they are to do in their homes. But in the case of husband and wife, the two have become one flesh. The wife's body is part of the husband's body. The two have become one. And are to regard one another as we regard ourselves. Take care of her the way you take care of yourself. That's sort of the message to men. Some years ago, I uh, heard or read this little testimony about one Christian man trying to live this out. There was a, well, is, a Theologian named Wayne Grudem. Some of you who have read some theology textbooks may have run, a, run across him. Um, he uh, was, I guess probably is, one of the premier evangelical theologians um, of our generation and was teaching, he was actually the department head at one of, if not the premier, Evangelical Seminary at the time, Trinity Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And uh, his wife suffered from a medical condition that caused her a lot of pain. I, I think fibromyalgia was either it or part of it, but she suffered with chronic pain that was made worse by Chicago Winters. And they traveled one time on vacation at the invitation of some friends to stay in a place down in Phoenix, Arizona. And she noticed she wasn't in pain in Phoenix, Arizona. The the warm, dry, you know, arid desert sort of heat was relief to her. She went back to Chicago. She hurt again. Went back to Phoenix, Arizona and found relief again. And in the course of that, um, you know, they started having this discussion about maybe maybe we could live here. Maybe you could teach here. And he says, well, you know, it's not like you just look up in the yellow pages and find the local seminary to go teach, teach at. But uh, while they were there, they did look in the yellow pages, and there was a seminary. <laughs> but one that he didn't even know of, and not many people did. And one of his initial visits there... Um, He said that the the faculty, they had three full-time professors at the whole seminary. And their library was smaller than his personal library. In other words, this was not career advancement for him. But in the course of having had that conversation and made this discovery he said in his regular bible reading he came upon this passage Ephesians chapter 5 verse 28 love your wives as you love your own bodies and he said Margaret i think if my he, he i think he asked her do you think if my body hurt the way yours hurt and felt better the way yours feel better in phoenix do you think i would move to phoenix she laughed. Yes, of course she would. But she didn't want him to. She felt kind of conflicted about that because he really uh, was, you know, meeting with a lot of success, as you will. God was really blessing the ministry he had. And the the long story short, or the, at least the long story shorter than it could be, he ended up moving to Phoenix and, and going on faculty at Phoenix Seminary, a place where God has has certainly blessed, continued to bless his ministry, but has especially blessed his marriage for having loved his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He laid down what would have, what would have appeared externally to be the right career move, laid it all aside, uh, and went and did something else for the good of his wife. That, has, that was impactful when I read that. I have not forgotten that. And it is really a vivid illustration of what that might look like in the lives of husbands who really hear the command to us, not rule your wives, not exercise authority over your wives, but love your wives. As Christ loved the church, gave himself the way he loved His body. We're to love ours as well. Well, as we come to conclusion here, I'll just say again, the church of Jesus Christ need not look to the world for instruction or affirmation concerning marriage. The world will always have some instruction to offer. The only affirmation the world will have to offer is if we follow their way of doing it. If we walk in the ways that the Lord has outlined for his people, we will more and more meet with mockery and scorn and criticism and that kind of thing, but so be it. Look to the word of God and the long history of the church who has lived in obedience to the word of God and has been blessed by having done so. I'll conclude here with this, uh, another little quote this was written by uh, a pastor, early church leader, probably around the mid-200s, writing about the relationship between husband and wife. Tertullian was his name, if you're so interested. But he's describing a hus- the Christian husband and wife in living in the Roman Empire, living, by the way, uh, at a time when there was disfavor toward Christians in the Roman Empire. But he says of a husband and wife, they pray together, fast together, instruct, support, and exhort each other. They go to the church of God, to the table of the Lord. They share each other's tribulation, persecution, and revival. Neither conceals anything from the other, neither avoids, neither annoys the other. That's one of those real high standards that... uh, (laughs) I don't know if he meant ever, but anyway, neither annoys the other. They delight to visit the sick, supply the needy, give alms without constraint, and in daily zeal they lay their offerings before the altar without scroll or hindrance. They do not need to keep the sign of the cross hidden, nor do they express slyly their Christian joy, nor to suppress the blessing. Psalms and hymns they sing together, and they vie with each other in singing to God. Christ rejoices when he sees and hears this. He gives them his peace. Where two are together in his name, there is he, and where he is, the evil one cannot come. Amen. That's a great promise to hold on to for the husband and wife who love and fear the Lord. And what a great picture of what it really looks like day after day to live in a mutual deference toward one another. A giving up of ourselves and our own interest for the good of the other. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we do thank you for the work of grace you've wrought in our lives and for the calling you've given us to walk in response to that, including in the home. And we can't help, Lord, but remember the ways in which we've failed to live that out perfectly. We've already had a time of confession of our sins, but Lord, we do just cast that upon you once again as um, some may have still an opportunity to make things right and for some that opportunity may be long past and water under the bridge. And we thank you once again. There's no condemnation there, but we thank you, Lord, for just the beautiful picture you've given us of Jesus and his love and sacrifice for us, the picture you've given us of that in marriage. God, I pray that you would reveal to hearts of husbands and wives here the things that even this week we might need to let go of and lay down for the sake of our spouse who's a gift to us. God we pray having done so that you would bless christian marriages and that the world resolved to walk a different way would more and more see the beauty of your face in the faces of wives who respect their husbands and submit to their leadership and husbands who love their wives and give themselves for her good and love her as their own bodies. Glorify yourself in us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.